Oh, this is gonna be a fun one. The Sally House. Located in Atchison, Kansas, and known as the most haunted house in America. But what if I told you there's a town just 30 miles south of Atchison that's actually way creepier and almost nobody knows about? It's called Leavenworth, Kansas, and it also happens to be my hometown. A small town that's most known for its army base and the fact that the federal penitentiary is located there. But here's where things get eerie. Leavenworth was the first city founded in Kansas back in 1854. That's before the Civil War, and many of the buildings built back then are still in use to this day. You've got the office buildings downtown and tree-covered neighborhoods with old Victorian mansions. And as a young kid being raised in this town, I had three separate paranormal experiences that still give me goosebumps to this day, with each experience getting progressively more eerie and unexplainable, as you'll see. The first one takes place at this house right here. According to Zillow, it was built in 1865, it's had multiple owners since it was built, and at one point it was a hotel in the early 1900s. Today, it's a children's daycare, and it also happens to be the daycare that my parents sent me to every summer vacation while they were at work. And aside from the creepy aesthetic, there was a well-known legend among the staff and the kids who went there of something sinister that happened in the house when it was a hotel. According to the legend, there were nine guests who were staying throughout the different rooms in the house one night. In the middle of the night, a mysterious person made their way into the house and brutally murdered all nine of the guests. What's weirder is that every person was apparently killed in very different ways. Now, I don't specifically remember all the details of the story, but one that I will never forget is that two of the victims were a father and son who were in town on a hunting trip and both of them were apparently chopped up with an axe in the middle of the night and their body parts scattered in the woods behind the house. Now there are two reasons why I specifically remember that detail. One, because behind the house today is a playground and during recess us kids would go back there into the woods and pretend we were looking for body parts. And two, a ghostly experience I had while wandering through the house one night during a thunderstorm. You see, this daycare had a tradition that once a month they would host a Friday night lock-in for the kids, which was essentially a big slumber party where we'd watch movies, eat snacks, play games, except for at this house, during these lock-ins, once it got late enough, the teachers would let the kids wander around the house with flashlights for a ghost hunt. And honestly, the idea of this scared the shit out of me, but even as a kid, I couldn't resist eventually being able to go and experience it for myself. So the following summer, once they announced the first Friday night lock-in, I had my mom sign me up right away. It was a Friday night in the middle of June 1997, and on that specific night, there was a big thunderstorm coming to town, and the head teacher Miss Joan had rented a bunch of VHS tapes with episodes of Goosebumps on them. So when the teacher rolled out this big boxy TV strapped to this roller stand and slid the tape into the VCR, I had to get a front row seat. Shout out to all my 90s kids. Now, I loved Goosebumps, so I was fully immersed into the show. So much so that I didn't even notice the raging storm going on outside, where golf ball sized hail was pouring down and the rumbling thunder only added to the intensity of the show I was watching. Then, right as the show was about to reach its climax, crash! Lightning struck a tree right outside the house, causing everybody in the house to jump as the TV immediately cut to white noise. At this moment, I vividly remember watching Miss Joan walk to the front of the room trying to get the TV back on. She ejected the tape from the VCR and I just remember her pulling the tape out and just pulling out strings of the film from the VHS, making it obvious that this tape was fucked and we were not gonna be able to finish the show. So in a frustrated tone, she just kind of blurted out to the room, just everybody go upstairs and start the ghost hunt early. At this moment, all the kids in the room stood up yelling, yay, and they ran upstairs in unison. Unlike all the other kids who were obviously excited for the ghost hunt, I was actually terrified to go upstairs. This house already gave me the creeps, so by the time everybody was upstairs, including all the teachers, the only two people left on the main level of the house were Miss Joan, who was standing by the TV with the VHS tape, and myself. Now, just so you can understand the layout of this house, we've got the main room in the center where the TV was, and right next to that room, separated by two glass doors, 
is the entryway with a flight of stairs leading up to a platform and another flight of stairs going up to the second level of the house. So me being afraid to go upstairs, I found myself actually standing in that doorway dividing the two rooms, leaning over into the entryway, looking up the stairs. And what happens next still gives me goosebumps. In the moment that I looked up the stairs, I saw a white translucent figure wearing old hunting clothes and a very recognizable raccoon hat, kind of like the one Davy Crockett used to wear. He had walked around the platform as if he was coming down the steps and he stopped at the top step on the platform and made direct eye contact with me for several seconds while I stood there in fear. And it didn't take long for me to register the fact that one, I didn't recognize who this person was, two, I could clearly see through them, and three, because of what he was wearing, he looked an awful lot like he could be the hunter kid from the legend I had always heard. So in that moment, I leaned back through the doorway to the main room where Miss Joan was standing and I said, Miss Joan, Miss Joan, there's a ghost upstairs. And she just said, yeah, I know it's a ghost hunt. Now go up there already. In that moment, I realized she was not taking me seriously. So I leaned back, looked back up the steps and the figure was gone. Here's where the plot thickens. Before this video, I tried to look up any information I could find, trying to find anything that might confirm this legend, or even if the house was ever a hotel at one point. During this research process, I actually called the daycare to see if anybody still worked there who might have been around when I was a kid, or even if they've heard anything about this place being haunted. So you were here in the early 90s? Yeah, I was like seven years old when that happened, so that would have been 1997. And I ended up in conversation with the current director of the daycare. I remember back then, the council counselors or whatever would talk about how the house used to be a hotel. Apparently a bunch of people were murdered in the hotel. Have you ever heard any story like that? Nope. So it was all probably and I've made been up. here six years. But a lack of evidence is not proof of no evidence. There was always rumors about it being haunted. Do you think it's haunted? Well, I mean, the only thing I've heard stories about is they did a haunted house as a fundraiser. Which doesn't necessarily sound like something you'd do if you didn't already think the house was haunted. There used to be a third story in the building because apparently there was a storm and it was struck by lightning. When it was rebuilt, it was removed. Now, this is the first time I've told this story publicly, maybe I'll just have to go there and investigate it myself one day. Let me know if you know of anybody else who's from Kansas who does paranormal investigations. Which brings me to what happened just a few months later in the same town around Christmas time. Five minutes down the street from the haunted daycare is a church that my parents and I went to for most of my childhood. And because it was so close to Fort Leavenworth, the congregation mostly consisted of old retired army vets. Not to mention it wasn't necessarily the nicest church in town, meaning that because the average age was around 67 years old, the church was actually actually shrinking faster than it was growing, if you catch my drift. So in order to fix that and attract new members, the church decided to bring in a second pastor who was a little bit younger and could bring a new type of energy to the services. And one of the things they started doing is they started to hold plays with the kids from the church. So naturally that Christmas, we did a nativity scene, only rather than doing the play inside at the front of the church, like most churches would do, they decided to go all out and build a makeshift steeple in the yard behind the church. The plan was that the kids would reenact the nativity scene inside the steeple on Christmas Eve outside in the cold, dark winter night. I played Joseph, of course. So that night when everybody arrives to the church around 10 p.m., I remember being surprised because I noticed that everybody in the church was wearing costumes dressed up like shepherds and wise men and to take things to the next level, they handed out green glow sticks to everybody. Being that I was only seven, this was the first time that I had actually ever seen a glow stick. I didn't even know they were a thing before then. Now picture this. As the service began, everyone marched outside in unison unison while singing hymns as I went to my spot in the back corner of the makeshift steeple with the rest of the kids in the place standing near me and everybody else forming a crowd in front of the steeple. 
Now, halfway through the play, part of the script had some songs written into the play. And so during one of these song breaks, I had noticed that one of the kids who was a couple years younger than me at the time, he was dressed up as a wise man and he was sitting on the ground a few feet in front of me and he was vigorously chewing on his glow stick, looking like he was having a grand old time doing it. Now me, this is my first time ever seeing a glow stick. I thought, oh, that's cool. I wanna chew on my glow stick too. What happened next sent chills down my spine. The moment I brought the glow stick up to my mouth and the plastic touched my teeth, I heard a voice whisper right behind my head, clear as day, there's poison in that. <sighs> now, keep in mind, I was seven. This was my first time ever seeing a glow stick, meaning I had no way of knowing anything about any of the contents inside the glow stick, and there was no one behind me when I heard that voice. So after the service, I walked right up to the pastor of the church, and I asked him, hey, Pastor McKinney, is there poison in this glow stick? Ironically, he said, yeah, so make sure you don't put that in your mouth. Surprised by his answer, I immediately tried to open up and tell him about exactly what happened and how the voice told me, there's poison in that. And at that moment, I remember my dad walked up to us and the pastor said to him as he chuckled, hey, your son here claims he heard the voice of God outside. You know, I figured him being the pastor talking about the Holy Spirit every damn day, him of anybody would surely believe me. But no, he didn't take me seriously because I was a little kid. I know what I heard. And to this day, I have no logical explanation for it. Ever since then, I've always felt that if fate or destiny was a real thing, then maybe that moment was the universe making sure I was around long enough to fulfill it. And now look at me. I'm a guy who makes internet videos about UFOs. Which brings us to the final story, which hits a little closer to home. Literally, it happened in my neighborhood that I grew up in. This neighborhood is a classic suburban neighborhood with a ton of houses in it. And smack dab in the middle of this neighborhood is one stretch of road that runs for about 150 yards and is the only road in that entire neighborhood that doesn't have a single house or street light on it because the sides of the roads drop off into a steep hill that lead into the woods, making it especially eerie to drive on at night. In fact, the only thing on this road are metal mailboxes randomly placed halfway down the street. And despite the creepiness of it, whenever it snowed, all the neighborhood kids knew that this was the spot to go to if you wanted to go sledding. So right in that transition period from winter to spring and the weather starting to warm up, I was hanging out with my two friends, Bobby and Derek, who happened to live next door to me in the neighborhood. And while we were hanging out, I actually started to tell them about the time that I saw a ghost at the haunted daycare the summer before. And that's when my friend Bobby claimed that he too saw something he couldn't explain when he was sledding by himself by the mailbox boxes after it snowed a few months prior. He told us that when he was at the bottom of the hill, he started walking around on top of the ice of the creek that ran through the woods. While he was walking around, he apparently got thirsty, so he reached down to grab a handful of snow, and when he did, he claims he saw the face of a woman laying underneath the ice, not moving. Now, if there's one thing you should know about Bobby, ever since I've known him, he'd always make up these crazy stories just to troll you for fun. So you could probably understand why when he told us this, Derek and I didn't believe a single word that came out out of his mouth. And we called him out. We said, yeah, right. If this actually happened, then prove it. Take us where you saw this right now. And much to our surprise, he said, okay, let's go. So we started walking to that road, broad daylight. And as we come up to the mailboxes, we all noticed something at the bottom of the hill that stops us in our tracks. There was a person down there walking around. We were all kind of weirded out by this. So real quick, we hid behind the mailboxes on the road and just started observing what they were doing down there. And we watched them for what seemed like an eternity, but in reality, it was probably around 10 minutes. We could see that it was a lady who was wearing a white blouse with brown cloth pants, almost like an outfit
outfit you would see from the 1800s. And for some reason, she was kind of frantically pacing around this one spot in the ground at the bottom of the hill. What's crazy is that her clothes were completely covered in dirt and her hair was everywhere, like the worst bedhead you've ever seen. Eventually, she picks up this large tree branch or stick and just starts digging it into what we now see is a very large hole dug into the dirt. And after watching this lady dig and dig and dig for a while, she eventually stops, gets down on all fours, reaches down into the hole and pulls up what looks like a little boy who was wearing the same exact outfit as her with a white blouse and brown cloth pants. And as she starts to pull this little boy up, he actually starts to help her by climbing out of the hole himself. And when he's entirely out of the hole, he stands up and starts nonchalantly brushing the dirt off of his clothes. Naturally, the lady bends down and starts to help him brush off his clothes too. And in that moment, they pause for a split second not saying anything, not moving a muscle. And simultaneously, they both snap their heads and look right at us, hiding behind the mailboxes. Without hesitation, all three of us scream at the top of our lungs and start running away as fast as we can. And to this day, I still don't have a logical explanation for what we all saw. Forget the fact that Bobby's story was already crazy enough. How on earth did we just witness a kid get dug out of a hole, then casually stand up and start brushing himself off? Once we got to my house, obviously we all started to recount the story of what we all think we saw. And every one of us verbally agreed that we all saw a lady wearing white dig a kid out of a hole and he was alive, almost like he wanted to be buried down there to begin with. And the only theory that we could even fathom to come up with at the time was that maybe they were vampires even though they were out in broad daylight. Now, over the last 25 years, I've always wondered, well, maybe it was just a mother and their kid and maybe they were burying a dead pet or something. But how would that explain the fact that the mother was actually digging the kid out of the hole? Or why were they both wearing the same outfit, a white blouse and brown cloth pants that looked to be an outfit from the 1800s? And why were they both covered in dirt as if she she was also in the hole at one point in time too. Either way, when we all tried to tell our parents about this, despite the consistent details between all three of us, none of our parents took us seriously. After all, we were just little kids with wild imaginations, right? Now, I'm not someone who believes every conspiracy I hear. I've never seen a UFO. I think Bigfoot is bullshit. In fact, I think there's probably a logical explanation for 99% of paranormal experiences that happen. But even if just 1% has no logical explanation, then by definition, that experience would be outside the norm or paranormal. But these three instances pale in comparison to the fourth and final paranormal experience I've had in my life when a tall shadow figure with a top hat and a trench coat terrorized my high school bedroom for three years straight. And I tell the entire story of what happened in this video right here. Go check it out.